My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike is the real life telling of Stephen Sims' journey of looking like Jonah Hill from 2007 to 2010. This podcast has been created to share the unique story of looking like a celebrity lookalike. In no way has this podcast been created to disparage, humiliate, or destroy Jonah Hill. This is My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. I'm Steven Sims along with Josh Larkin. Welcome to episode four. We are here today to continue the story of my journey back in 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2010 of looking like Jonah Hill. And Josh, how are you? I'm doing well. I can tell you're doing well too because you can. You know we're in the meat of this. You gave the game show welcome back. If you have hung with us into episode four, you're getting into the meat here. Well, I was really I'm really excited about this episode because it really is like the second part to episode three. Uh, We're going to have Michael Roach and Dylan Stern back on in a few minutes and we're going to talk about what happened. I mean, where we left off last episode was Jonah Hill wrote us a note on Facebook, which you read to us. And I do appreciate you always reading these it's my it's my best Jonah Hill impression. It's as close as I'm ever going to get to Hollywood, baby, is reading what Jonah Hill once wrote you on Facebook. Listen, being a Jonah Hill impressionist is not all that's cut out to be. So uh, don't live up to that dream. But we're going to have the guys on and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Jonah Hill sending us that message, our uh, ridiculous response, uh, meeting Jonah Hill, sending out our movie, Destroying Jonah Hill, the release of it, and of course... The release of its its competitor, a movie that was essentially our footage was stolen and made into another crap movie. But we'll talk about that a little later with our special guest, Pittsburgh radio DJ Joey Spihar, who was a part of that. Uh, and it all comes together, Josh. Here it is. Episode four. We're halfway through the story, but yet we're still in 2007. Yeah, this is where you've gotten uh Big enough to to meet Jonah, not yet big enough to be bootlegged, which we'll get into with Joey. But yeah, getting into some actual meeting of Jonah and some glad handing. Absolutely. Well, let's start things off. Uh, He's back for a third time. I love him. He's the reason we're here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Roach. What's up, Roach? Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just uh, I just listened to our episode that we recorded last week, episode three, and I just was cracking up. It's so good because if even if no one else listens to this podcast, sharing these memories with you uh, and and getting Josh to ask questions and having Dylan on has just been so fun. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad that I'm glad that your expectations are going to be met beyond met and uh we might as well get to him he's waiting in the wings right now here he is new haircut ladies and gentlemen you can't see it but we can mr dylan stern good morning everybody good morning dylan how are you great thanks for having me back thanks for being here man we really appreciate it guys if you remember last time we spoke josh was so kind enough to read the jonah hill message we received on facebook we, we responded, but I remember we took some time to respond. Internally, we were crafting the message that day, or you were crafting the message. 
and then wrote and I had some notes or thoughts. I'm sure we probably got up, met up together and talked about it endlessly in person. At Denny's. Probably. No, I, I definitely remember that going down at the 90 West. Like I remember us talking about it at the bar <laughs> the day it happened, which would have made sense because it was also my birthday. So we were probably just hanging out anyway. What a great gift. Yeah. <laughs> I- <laughs> I, I just still can't stop thinking of last episode when we realized that he probably saw one of those ridiculous stickers or his friend did and then quickly went to a MySpace page that says destroy Jonah Hill and was like, who are these fuckos? <laughs> and then just write us the lowercase message in the middle of the night. It. Uh, I have a confirmation. Now there's another email and it says the following was sent to Jonah Hill on November 8th, 2007 at 9.33 p.m. It was that day, that same day, the evening you sent out a message well let's let's get to it josh you want to read read the um our response yeah i love that this is perfectly crafted from a three-man team and this is the final draft that i will be going <laughs> over so <laughs> hey jonah no need to worry about us we're good destroyers like shiva we're also big fans you and your projects as well as the apatel universe you guys are doing consistent and excellent work keep it up The page you stumbled onto was set up to tease the Falco Films project, destroying Jonah Hill, about an aspiring actor who has the unfortunate luck of being a dead ringer for you. The main character decides that the only way he can succeed in the industry is by destroying your public image, but in trying to do so, he inadvertently makes you an even bigger star. There's even a small part for you in it if you don't mind being paid in bong hits. As for us, the creator slash destroyers, we're Falco Films. We're an independent film company which has started back up in Pittsburgh in early 2006. We've done several short projects and thanks to your handsome face are currently in post-production with our latest. We're cutting a short that tailors to a feature-length script we're putting together. Anyway, sorry if we startled you. We're just harmless filmmakers trying to make it in this town. We hope all is well and we look forward to hearing back from you. If not, we feel that the universe will bring us together somehow. Best of luck and keep up the good work. Yours. Mike Roach, Stephen Sims, Dylan Stern. Yikes. We should have been a little bit more honest and genuine and just been like, we are just two struggling sign makers trying to make it in the industry. (laughs) I love the inclusion that you let him know. There's a small part for you in this. A small part. We're not (laughs) going to we're not talking rewrites or like more than five minutes of screen time. A small part that he would be paid with bong hits. <laughs> <laughs> Three of you craft bong hits. That's that response right there is just uh, that's gold. <laughs> so t- tell me the story, Sims. Did we sent that out, but we never heard anything back beyond that, right? No, I I looked it up today just to double check. There was never a response. Uh, the user, if we missed the response, come across it. Oh my god, guys, we missed it. It was there. <laughs> Thirteen years later, he goes, yeah, I love to be paid with bomb hits. Uh, no, we had no response. Obviously, that user doesn't exist anymore. Um, and yeah, that was it. We sent that, and things just kind of continued to play out perfectly because a. I, I don't know what day of the week that was, uh, whether that was a Wednesday or a Thursday, but sometime around that response, my friend Karen invited me to a comedy talk with 
uh, with Judd Apatow and James L. Brooks and the creator of MASH. And she said that Jonah Hill would probably be there. And then a lot of these people from like the Apatow universe would probably be at this comedy talk. And we had those damn stickers that we were passing out. And we just got this this message from Jonah. So why would I not go hoping he's there? And lo and behold, he was fucking there. And the story goes, <laughs> I was so nervous. But like I saw him and like you see him in person and you're like, we look nothing alike. But yet at the same time, like a quick flash, you're like, what am I doing over there? Or like, why does that guy look like me? And I ran up to him at the end of this thing and he wasn't participating. He was just there in the audience like me. And I go, Jonah, Jonah, big fan of your face. (laughs) And I hand him a sticker and I said, we got your message. We just want to let you know we're not out to destroy you. We just are here to make comedy. And then I went to shake his hand, which is what you did in 2007. You would shake hands. He gave me a very sweaty, limp wrist handshake. And I was so insulted by it. But now as I tell this story back, he should have ran away screaming. Yeah, he was probably petrified. He probably he immediately called the cops after that and reported. Gave, him their, gave the cops your sticker. And said, find this guy and make sure he stays away from me. There, there's a thumbprint on this. Track him down. Was the plan always to yell, I'm a big fan of your face? Was that pre-constructed or was that a spur of the moment thing? Did the three of you guys write down on uh, sit down on that one too? Or that was my that was my acting chops at work again. I, <laughs> was I your improv skills. Yeah, my improv skills weren't up to par. Uh I mean, the interaction was very strange, but I think it was also, you know, his life at the time was very strange. I mean, he just was coming off this very successful movie or I mean, yeah, this was November. He was asked to do SNL, but it was canceled because of the writer's strike. But at the same time, this was like the exact same week. Do you guys remember Conan O'Brien had a stalker? No, this this was like the same week or the same month. There was a guy stalking Conan O'Brien. And I remember Roach specifically being like, like I came back and told Roach this story. And at the time, Roach was probably just like, what? <laughs> I'm a big fan of your face. <laughs> I'm still like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I think just to put things in context, this was 2007. And, you know, social media it was just at the beginning of social media. So, like, now I think we have a lot more access to celebrities being on Twitter and Instagram and communicating with fans. Like I think at at the time this was all relatively new. So I would imagine from his perspective being very creeped out. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a good closing statement, you know, like as you walk away, Hey, big fan of your face, you know, after you explain, we look alike, but just to shout across as an introductory statement to somebody is very like Buffalo bill skin suit vibes. If anyone recalls in our first episode, Alison Trumbull asked, was it this detrimental to your career or was it just handled poorly? And I answered, it was handled poorly. And as we continue with this podcast, I am a hundred percent sticking behind the fact that the whole situation on my part was handled poorly. I think this whole podcast will validate Allison's advice. Cause she also mentioned, you know, one thing that is consistent is you have to put your best, you know, self forward. And I'm a big fan of your face is nobody's best self. 
I mean, the funny part is I'm not even a fan of my own face, so why would I be a fan of his face? It just makes no sense. Yeah, I think a rational person would have used the opportunity to go introduce yourself, have a conversation, you know, explain that you're a big fan, you know, to to essentially hit the good points of our our email response without all the weird the weirdness. To just be like, hey, very nice to meet you. I'm a big fan. You know, we're doing this project. Here's a sticker. Would love to chat with you more. Got we a small a, part for you. We have a small part for you. <laughs> well, it also goes back to, yeah, we pay in bong hits. Uh, it also goes back to what Allison said, too. It's like there's that five to seven years in L.A. where you're just like, you don't know how to manage yourself. You don't, you know, there's years that if you could get back. I mean, if the situation was now, obviously, I would know how to handle it a little better. I wouldn't be screaming across an auditorium. Hey, Jonah, I'm a big fan of your face. Uh, I would handle it the right way. But I guess just being so excited and naive in the fact that he wrote us and it just being kind of kismet was just like it was too much for me to handle. I mean, like Roach said in episode two, I was coming off of a, I'm coming off of a bad couple months. So this was all this was like it discovered. After Jonah discovered us and I embarrassed myself without knowing it in front of several people that I did not go on to work with at a comedy talk, we went on to continue editing Destroying Jonah Hill. And I think the plan for all of us was to try to get discovered so we could work with these guys. But at the same time, I was, you know, I figured there was no harm sending it to some film festivals. And Again, it's just so embarrassing to bring up now because it's like you send this movie with like that's not even a movie to Sundance. And it's just it's, you know, it's wishful thinking uh, and it it's just embarrassing. Yeah, I think that's an important notation is that it never turned into a full movie. It was always what is it like 13, 14 minutes in that kind of realm. So it's like the first bit of an act. Well, as I continued to embarrass myself and the team, Mike and Dylan, uh, we decided to also send the DVD unsolicited around town. And this kind of goes back to what Allison said, too. You know, she said, when I first moved out here, I just sent these letters to this manager, this agent over and over again. And I thought it was such a mistake for a while. But then she realized, like, she remembered me years later. So I'm sure this was a mistake on our part. But I also feel like it kind of it was a mistake on our part but at the same time it had apatow and these guys discussing who i was a year later when i was working with them on funny people which we'll get to in a, in a couple episodes but we did send the dvd to a lot of different people in the industry i mean just random people that had production companies and one was apatow productions we sent a letter And I just, before we even talk about it, I just think Josh should read the letter and let us know exactly. We should just know how, let's see how well our letter to Judd Apatow was, which I'm sure I just wrote by myself. Yeah. And I like the idea of like in your head now, after all these years, you're like, we probably spent all this time crafting this letter. And I'm sure it was like, we need a letter. Let me just write it real quick and send it out. (laughs) Well, Josh, why don't you read the letter? This is Wednesday, December 17th, 2008, on company letterhead as well. Dear Mrs. Yadavaya, encloses a copy of our independent short film, Destroying Jonah Hill. We created this piece not so much with intent to sell, 
but as a portfolio, if you will. It's a sample of our talents, our sensibilities, and unfortunately our limitations as independent collective artists. As the writers, actors, and producers of the film, we'd like for you to have a copy to enjoy, and we hope you notice us as creative personalities in which you would like to work with. We're also the founders and co-creators of Falco Films, a small production company which was started in 2006. We are a team of writers, directors, actors, and editors who primarily focus on short films and sketch comedy. Our work has been featured online, as well as at local screenings and film festivals. Destroying Jonah Hill, which is our most recent film, was shot in August of 2007 and screened earlier this year at a private screening in Los Angeles. The film is tailored to a feature script of the same title and serves as an example of our work. Sincerely, Mike Roach and Stephen M. Sims. Like, how did my name keep getting stuck first on this <laughs> Sincerely, Michael Roach. <laughs> the only thing I wrote out of all these uh, letters was the Shiva thing. The Shiva thing had to have been me. <laughs> I love that in the letter you multiple times refer to yourself as a team and a collective of artists. And then there's dudes wow. on the letter. <laughs> The timeline after 2007 was we we finished editing Destroying Jonah Hill, which you know took us a while, and we released it at a private screening, which was at at the time Dylan's house at our house, <laughs> the compound, and uh, and then we went off to just make DVDs and send them to film festivals. And the funny thing about the DVDs are, you know, at the time in 2007, 2008 sending out DVDs or screeners was was normal. You know, we didn't have representation, so we were doing it the unconventional way and unsolicited. But I always kept DVDs in my car and would give them to people. And it's the same thing of like we passed out the DVD to people we worked with. And Roach, you know, we, we talked about this off the podcast, but there was that guy we worked with at World of Wonder, Cameron, who was on his roof in downtown L.A., and across the street, they were filming Get Him to the Greek or one of Jonah Hill's movies. And Cameron screams because he had a DVD that I gave him at one point. I loved you in destroying Jonah Hill. And Jonah Hill screams back, that wasn't me. And Cameron screams, no, I loved you in destroying Jonah Hill. And then I guess Jonah got all pissed off. But uh the fact that we were passing out the stickers and the DVDs, we were just really getting it out there, whether if the DVD was going to Apatow Productions or to some guy we worked with. However, it is funny because Josh figured out, Josh, who's the letter written to? Yeah, so this letter, uh, and that's what I had asked you, was this individual who is Miss Lisa Yadavaya at this point in time. I didn't know if this was Apatow's assistant or like just somebody. And it, you know, through Google research, turns out to be uh, Mrs. Evan Goldberg now. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so you wrote this beautiful, wonderful letter about destroying Jonah Hill uh, to Seth Rogen's best friend's wife. Yeah. I mean, that's. It sounds like we still have an in, if you ask me. I think it's proper to follow up and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I never got a response from this. Uh, <laughs> I know you've been busy with the wedding and things, but I expected it to calm down by now. How is that feature length script coming along? 
Well, yeah. You think she's going to – that's why we can't follow up, Josh. We're still working on the script. Putting the finishing touches on the script. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I'm a part of the collective now, if I have to actually contribute to this movie if I've been roped in as the fourth. It's funny that it. she turned – I mean she probably was Apatel's assistant or ran the production team at Apatel Productions at the time. I'm sure I paid for like an IMDb Pro account to get the contact info. Um, I mean, I know yeah. I did, but Roach is like, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that, you know, I go on later to work with Seth Rogen a little bit and Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, uh, you know, create their production company and all the movies they do. And she's married to him. It's just kind of funny. It, it's just as funny as, you know, we had a comedian in our backyard and we just had to read a book in the film. So, I mean, it's. <laughs> I do remember I was very impressed with the artwork, you know, like you because you guys worked at a sign shop, it was like the real deal. Like you printed the design was right. And the, the I, I felt like the whole presentation was put together pretty well. We we literally should have told Jonah that we were struggling graphic designers, <laughs> not filmmakers, because obviously out of everything, the graphic design, as Dylan said, was the sharpest. Dylan's right. It looked really professional and really well done until you put it in your DVD player and you're like, (laughs) well, there was one version of this said film that was even worse than than ours was. Uh, If if the audience remembers last episode, we spoke about our cinematographer, the guy who got the camera and who lived with Roach and I the summer of 2007, Brad. Uh, Brad actually comes back into our life and I'm going to ask Dylan and Roach if they have the date of when it all started to happen. But it w- I guess it would have been around January 2008, December 2007, something like that. Yeah, I have an email from a person named Sam Lother on January 12th, 2008. Uh, and he's basically asking if I know the names of some of the actors in the film for the credits of this movie called destroy Jonah Hill. He needs the names of the owner of fast signs who played the bum, uh, the friend that played the customer, the girl that played Liz who had a Mexican stepfather and was interested in Sims for a moment. And the guy that played Dave who worked at fast signs. Unfortunately, Brad has to send the movie out by Monday to qualify for another Emmy. So, so time is short. I appreciate any help you can give us. Wow. So to get everyone up to speed, (laughs) Dylan, thanks for sharing that. Brad moved back to Pittsburgh after his internship, after the summer ended. And if I remember correctly, and Roach, Dylan, please share. It was, you know, my memory is shit. But I I remember we were going to edit some stuff. Dylan and I were going to edit. Brad was going to edit. But Brad kind of fell off the face of the earth. And didn't really communicate much with us. And, you know, we weren't going to waste our time waiting on him for anything. Meanwhile, it seems like he was off. I mean, he was off making his own version of the film while Dylan and I were editing Destroying Jonah Hill. He was making Destroy Jonah Hill. Did I, is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I think from my perspective, it, yeah, it was like we had sort of agreed that we'd all work on this together. Obviously, he was going to be in Pittsburgh. And I think he kind of ghosted everybody, you know, obviously you guys knew him a little bit better than I did. Um, 
I think he only resurfaced when his movie, his version, Destroy Jonah Hill, was about to premiere. When he needed to qualify for an Emmy. There's another, a, yeah. another Emmy. Another. There's a lot to unpack in that. Yeah, that one paragraph. I also want to point out this was a college Emmy that he won and was going for a second time. Not a real Emmy. It was a college Emmy. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. Anyway, <laughs> obviously, I'm still carrying baggage from it. Uh, well, at the, and we'll find out here because we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back with our our special guest, Joey Spihar from WYEP in Pittsburgh. Joey is a friend of mine in Roaches from college. Uh, I, again, I could be wrong, but I know Joey alerted us to the screening of Destroy Jonah Hill. But from what Dylan's telling me, it sounds like we got word of it first and we probably were like, well, Dylan, do we have do we respond? Were we like, what the fuck is this? Well, I I did respond. So he just sent this. Sam sent this to me. Uh, if you want, I can I can read this email to you. Uh, but it basically says, hi, Dylan, you don't know me, but I'm one of the producers of Destroy Jonah Hill, the movie that Brad filmed parts of in L.A. Post work on the movie is almost complete and we still don't have a few names for the credits. If you know Brad, I'm sure that you're not surprised. Although he has tried to contact Sims and Roach, but has not received a response as of yet. Anyway, it would be great. It would be of great assistance to us if you could send us any information that you have on the actors. We need the owners of Fast Signs, blah, 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 blah. I'm calling bullshit because if anyone knows me and I would not ignore an email, I would immediately forward it to Dylan and Roach and be like, destroy. Like, I would not ignore that. Well, and then I forward it to you. And I, I have a response that I wrote, but you're, I forwarded it to you and you wrote, he's a fucking dead man. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he did not try to reach out to Roach or I. I mean, I'm pretty sure he doesn't even remember our names. Well, and that's, I'm seeing emails from October. Like there was back and forth where it was kind of like you would check in like, hey, dude, what's going on with the rough cuts? How's it going? Why aren't we seeing anything? And then he would write back like, I don't understand the urgency now. I've heard from nobody besides you about this project since I left L.A. And second, I had no other options but to change the direction to some extent since the other shots I was promised would be filmed when I left were never completed. So he was trying to finish something for class, for a class project. And there is definitely a back and forth between the two of you where neither of you were communicating well and nobody was getting what they wanted. And so then months later, what, that was October. So a couple months later, all of a sudden there's a finished project that we hear about through Sam Lockler. And we hear that it's screening through Joey. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So again, I fucked it all up. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's justified in that situation. Although I don't know, like you're promising shots. Like what were you going to shoot it with? We didn't have a camera. We didn't promise him <laughs> shit. Well, no, you probably judging by his email here, you promised a phone conference with him and he left class early Thursday and wasted two hours to upload the cuts for you. But you found it more important to get stoned than to view the footage that in my mind voids any right. You or anyone else has to be assigning and deassigning positions. What? Thanks, Brad. <laughs> First off, how does he know when I was getting stoned in 2007? And second off, 
That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> it's just making me so angry right now. All right. When we come back, we'll be talking about Destroy Jonah Hill with our guest, Joey Spihar. This is My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. <laughs> See you soon. All right, we're back to my life as a celebrity lookalike. And, you know, I just want to say during this little commercial break, the guys, Josh, Roach, and Dylan, decided to do some digging on Google and they found Destroy Jonah Hill in two parts on YouTube. And I'm telling you what, here's what their responses were Roach is loving it. Josh is regretting doing this podcast with me. And Dylan literally said, I think this is a better film than what we made. It was also discovered in the break, and I'll let Roach chime in in a second before we get to our guest, Joey Spihar, uh, that I guess I was communicating with Brad all through the fall of 2007, and from what some of the communication Roach has shared, it just was him and I bitching at each other. So I very well could have known that this movie was coming, and I apologize for that, guys. (laughs) Yeah, it it seems like looking at some past emails, it looks like... Um, before the January email that we got saying that there was a screening was imminent on this new film, there was stuff in October where it looks like we knew something, we knew Brad was working on something else. It seems like we were supposed to be obviously working on all this together. Um, but there was communication breakdowns along the way. And, it turned into us on the West Coast working on one film and Brad working on another film, which he was going to, he needed it to use for a, a class project, probably a senior project or something. And that was the whole reason why he was out in LA for an internship. And he thought, well, I got this footage. I'm going to use it for the class project. And it seems like we were okay with that. And so a lot of the emails are talking about like, how's your stuff going? And here's how our stuff's going and, and this and that. But I think what set us off from what I can tell, we, we thought it was okay to use for class, but all of a sudden we found out and we'll talk about this in a minute with Joey, but we found out that this was going to be screened to the public, which we were not happy about. From what Dylan told us before the break, he received the email from Brad's producer, Sam, in January of 2008, asking for names for the credits. And my response to when Dylan forwarded me that was, he's a dead man. So I I assume at that point, we're starting to realize that he's putting something out there in public or submitting it for a possible college Emmy. And from my poor memory, I, I just assume that it was a text or a phone call but Joey reached out, Joey being in Pittsburgh. And by the way, hi, Joey. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. I guess before we get into it, we should just give a little background. Uh, Joey Spihar, ladies and gentlemen, uh, radio disc jockey from WYEP in Pittsburgh and a good friend of mine from college. We've stayed in touch all these 13 years. And back in the day when we were making Destroying Jonah Hill, when I was dealing with the Jonah Hill lookalike syndrome, uh, Joey kind of was along, you know, a friend from afar who kind of followed things. And what I'm getting at is I remember, I, I think I remember Joey reaching out and being like, hey, I see there's a screening for Destroy Jonah Hill at Pittsburgh Filmmakers. 
is that your film? Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I, I I always love to see my friends doing good. And like I've had a couple of friends that moved to L.A. and then sort of just disappeared or didn't do anything or moved back home. But like Sims has always been, from my limited knowledge, doing really well, killing it out there. So when I saw that they were screening what I thought at the time was destroying Jonah Hill, I was like, well, this is awesome. I uh, assume he knows, but what if he doesn't? So let me send him a little congratulations text saying like, hey, you've made it to a screening in Pittsburgh, which I thought was really cool. And then turns out I was completely wrong. And then I believe because at this point we, we know it's at Pittsburgh Filmmakers. And and again, Joey, thank you for always sticking with my my career whether if i'm looking like someone or not and i appreciate the support but dylan you had uh, a friend who worked at filmmakers is that correct well i i went to school at pittsburgh filmmakers so i i knew a lot of the staff pretty well and so whenever we found out that there was going to be a screening at the film kitchen at, at pittsburgh filmmakers I reached out to the person who programs the lineup and basically explained the whole story. And then looking at our emails, it looks like we got Clint involved. You know, there were releases that we had signatures for, you know, Brad and Sam's company didn't have the releases also didn't even know the names of the actors that were in the film. So it sort of became a whole chaotic thing that I think we ended up getting shut down. That or Joey went to the screening. <laughs> well, I did go to the screening. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I did not go to the screening um, because I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't really get out much. I'll admit to that. I like to think about doing things and talk about doing things. And then I end up just falling asleep on the couch. Uh, but I guess what, what what's scratching my head is why would this guy make a ripoff of a movie that no offense is kind of a ripoff? Well, Roach said this also when we were in the commercial break, and maybe he can touch on this again. I don't think Brad really understood what our vision was. And our vision, again, even though we were a little all over the place, was to get someone like Judd Apatow to discover us. He took a trailer for you, essentially, tripled it in length, and added a bunch of weird like liquid television animation bullshit that makes no sense whatsoever to what the story originally started as I watched it, you know, with the sound off on YouTube and I think it made a lot more sense. Okay. Yeah. Just make it up as you go along, make it up as you watch it. It's probably a good idea. Well, if I, I mean, and Josh, maybe this makes, you know, Josh, as you being the, the co-host and, and the, the listener, so to speak, does it make you feel better knowing that I I did, I guess, know he was making this other project for class or whatever, but ultimately my frustrations came from this pile of crap that he made because, you know, although our film isn't great or anything, his did not have the vision that we discussed months earlier. And that, I think, is where a lot of my frustrations came from. Uh, I think in hindsight, if I know you, it's easy to blame it on vision but I think like you in the moment weren't concerned with like vision of like, this is going to destroy my legacy. You know, I don't think you had like a Spielberg moment about this. I think you were just like this fucker got a screening 
and I'm, you know, hustling, sending these letters to Apatow, doing private screenings. You know, you had some private screenings, but you weren't, you know, making disc jockeys in L.A. aware of the presence of this film, so to speak. You know, it's it's funny because Dylan brings up, too, that we had to get Clint, the owner of Fast Signs, where we filmed all of Destroying Jonah Hill involved. And Clint did put together a cease and desist. I mean, that was his his plan to shut it down. Although I'm pretty sure Fa- Fast Signs being a franchise, we didn't have the rights to film there anyway or show the logo. So if anything, they should have shut it down because we weren't following the rules either. But everything up until this point is you faking professionalism, you know, like you've got these professionally produced DVDs that contain a film that is not. So you've got this veneer. So I think as long as the cease and desists looks okay, he doesn't even know the names of the people in the movie. So he doesn't have a leg to stand on. It's very funny to me looking at these emails, just the bluffs from both sides of like Clint's email, like puffing his chest, like, you know, you do not have permission to use this. You know, we will have to get the law involved And like Sam's people, like my friend, the lawyer, like, you know, just these, none of us are going to sue each other over this. Like it's just bluffs from both sides, like acting like we have any sort of integrity at all. Yeah. It seems like a lot of posturing and, and a little like, intimidating in a way which is why i never even have visited la because that you know that attitude that i think you have to have to make it in your business it just it doesn't come to me naturally which is why i ended up in public radio i think a lot of this too boils down to like your ages at the time because we're what like around 25 in this mark so this is a lot of like dick swinging you know Mm -hmm. Just like false bravado, you know, like I'm going to do this better than you are. And you know, just get, just touching back on the uh, the the false, you know, just kind of like the bravado, like with the emails going back and forth. I'm reading Clint's cease and desist email, and he identifies himself as the owner of Fast Science Culver City, and he misspells the word owner. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what we're working with. <laughs> and everything we talk about on this podcast goes back to our first episode with Alice and Trumbull. You just – you don't have – and this kind of goes to what Joey was saying. I mean, Allison said in our first episode, you don't have really a vision of how to handle yourself these first couple years in L.A. And we definitely didn't. And like Dylan said, we were never going to sue anyone over it. And it was really dick swinging. It was – I was. I was upset that he had a screening, that he was in our hometown – And people like Joey were aware of the film and we were still we were hustling just to get it out. I mean, there was a reason why we didn't screen it right away was because we wanted to use it as kind of like a resume. As funny as that is, that's what our plan was. It was a reel. And while Judd Apatow was in his office with Evan Goldberg's soon to be wife throwing away the DVD, we were all arguing with Brad or not even Brad. We're arguing with some guy named Sam about how they can't screen it at Pittsburgh Film Kitchen. I mean, it's wild. It, it's really insane. And ultimately, this was the end of the Destroying Jonah Hill era. I mean, a couple months after that, we screened it at Dylan's house, uh, which was a big party house that we always to hang out at. And the DVDs didn't bite, but uh, stuff did happen a couple months later, which we'll get to. Maybe this is not the direction you want the podcast to go, but I feel like you should have Brad on 
the <laughs> podcast to talk to him about his side of things because you know there very well could just be a miscommunication in all of this and from his perspective from the get-go it was that he was filming this short film to go home and make this project for class or for Emmy purposes, whatever, whatever his uh, objective was, you know, and maybe we're the people who made our rogue film. I appreciate your attempt to put me in the middle of that, Dylan. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Like, what What if we're the assholes here? We probably are. And I feel like somewhere right now, Brad's doing his version of a podcast, rereading the emails with Sam. But, uh, that actually is interesting because I would, I you know, at this point, who gives a shit? I would like to have a conversation with him about it. I would like to know if we were in the wrong, which from these stories and emails, I'm thinking I was definitely a bit in the wrong. And again, it's just like whenever I interacted with Jonah Hill, interacting with Brad, it just wasn't, I wasn't ready for any of this. And ultimately goes back to how it was a mishandled situation and opportunity. So did Apatow ever see the movie? Or he just threw it out. Like all these years later, do you think that he's seen it? I know he has seen the 41-year-old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it. The whole thing? I don't know if he watched the whole thing, but at the beginning of the pandemic, he he Instagrammed. He goes, I'm finally going to watch it. And he Instagrammed the photo with me on the cover. And I thought that was really cool. But I don't think... Because we, and we'll talk about this in the, in the episodes to come, but we tried to get Destroying Jonah Hill... Again, the 41-year-old virgin came out in 2010. We tried to get Destroying Jonah Hill on the DVD as a bonus feature. And we were Mm -hmm. unable to do it because of all the billboards. They ended up making a version called Being Jonah Hill. And it was like an interview EPK of me doing Destroying Jonah Hill. And they showed some clips of Destroying Jonah Hill. But it's like Roach and I walking outside of a mcdonald's but the mcdonald's the billboard everything's blurred so (laughs) the whole joke yeah the whole joke is is ruined so we couldn't get it on there but uh, i know he saw that feature obviously do not think he's been on the vimeo page to see destroying jonah hill and if he (laughs) and if he is my phone's right here judd standing by well i want to wrap things up i i want to thank first and foremost joey for stopping by just to clarify some things, Dylan, you got anything you want to add before we, we say goodbye to you as our director and boom audio operator. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm, I keep going down the deep dive of these emails and like, it's funny how upset you're getting now talking about it. Like, so we internally, me, you and Roach must've rediscovered these emails in 2011 and there's a little text thread. And so your response to Sam Lather's email was, I hated this guy then, and I hate him even more now. <laughs> it's just so funny, just how upset <laughs> all this makes you. I love that Dylan is our official archivist and instigator on this show. Like, oh yeah, I found some I, shit you're gonna hate. <laughs> Roach, you have anything you want to add? Thanks for digging the digging through the emails and clarifying some things. <laughs> yeah, I just. Going back to the the first DML we talked about, where it was Sam Lothler asking for you know the names of the people who were in this that Brad should have known. Seeing the credits on Destroy Jonah Hill, he we never did tell him the names of the people who were in the film. 
because he's made up names for he didn't even know the names of uh, the characters. He has Sarah Ties, who is nobody. It's a made up name as, quote, big haired 80s chick. <laughs> uh, Joey, do you have any plugs or anything we can add? Uh, I, thanks for having me. I mean, it's uh, I'm still real proud of you, Sims, and I, I think you guys are doing a really good job. I mean, I don't really have anything to plug except listen to the radio if you're in Pittsburgh or stream it online, WIP.org. Well, we got a big Pittsburgh audience. I mean, both Josh and Roach are in Pittsburgh. Uh, Dylan and I are in L.A., and I've listened to it online many times, and I, I love I love that you're doing that, Joey, and I love that you're doing what you wanted to do, and it makes me really happy. Yeah, it's a dream job. Well, thanks, Joey, for being here. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for joining us for episode four of My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. Joshua, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, I think that the journey is these twists and turns because we all recollect these things to our own, you know, gravitas. You know, you you were never wrong in your memory. And then it took four of us getting together to show how incredibly misguided you've been this entire time, uh, which happens to all of us in our mid 20s when we get caught up in that bravado and boasting about who we are rather than, you know, actually caring about who we are and what we're putting forward. So I think that what really matters is where you are now. He can go do his own thing. You came out on top. So that's what what matters. Joey's still supporting you. That was it for this episode of My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. I'm Stephen Sims with Joshua Larkin, Michael Roach, Dylan Stern, and Joey Spihar. We'll be back next week with more exciting stories as we dive into, well, we dive into funny people and my time with Jonah for a second time. And I'm sure... It's just as embarrassing. So thanks for listening. This is My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. We'll see you soon.